Today we'll be reading from Matthew 9, 9-13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our second scripture reading um, is from Luke 9, 13 to 17. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Thank you guys for uh, reading scripture. And I can't take any credit for uh, the musicians up here. Uh, I'm one of those guys that wish they could sing or play an instrument uh, so that I could be up here and do this. And so, uh, but I'm thankful that, that BJ spends a lot of time working with our students. And I was excited for, for them to have the opportunity this morning to uh, lead us in worship. And I figured if I'm going to be speaking, I should bring my team with me. And uh, this happens every, every Sunday night, so I was glad to have them uh, with me this morning and, and leading us in worship. And, and this morning, I want to talk about what a mess. And you might be thinking, that's an interesting title. And uh, this week, I, I was uh, looking on Facebook, and my, my cousin posted this post with three small children and one on the way. It has become apparent to me that we just can't have nice things. I guess we'll just have to wait Oh, I guess we'll just have to live with shabby, mangled, ruined stuff until the kids move out. Then maybe I'll be able to get a few nice things. Maybe. And as I read that, I thought, yeah, that, that's kind of funny because whether we realize it or not before we have kids, kids are messy, right? I mean, your kids are messy, my kids are messy. And, and, and as I was thinking about uh, some experiences that, that, that we've had with our kids, I, I couldn't help think when Haley was just a little a little baby, and we were driving home from the beach, and we were on the Schuylkill Expressway, and there was an explosion in her diaper. I mean, it was a big-time explosion, and I look in the rearview mirror, and she has some of that explosion on her hands, and she's wiping it on her face, and, and, and we're on the Schuylkill Expressway. There's not a real great place to pull off, so finally we found a spot to pull off, and, and uh, I mean, Dana takes her out of her clothes and wipes her down. I had to take the, the cover off the car seat because it was, it was all, uh, all soiled. And, and, and we ended up putting a diaper on her, and she sat on the plastic car seat for the rest of the way home. I mean, she was a mess. But not to be outdone, then I remember the story about Zachary. And uh, Dana took Zachary and Haley to get their pictures taken at the mall. And luckily, she asked Emily Coben to go along with her. And they got their pictures taken, and then an explosion happened in Zachary's diaper, and it was everywhere. 
And so Dana found herself in, in the ladies' restroom at Park City, you know, t- t- trying to get Zachary clean and getting him out of his soiled clothes. And she sent uh, Emily Coben with her credit card to a store to get some new, a new outfit for Zachary. And, and, and uh, she got him clean. They got him in their new outfit. But it was a mess. And kids are messy. And they're worth it most days, Right? No, I mean, they're worth it every day. And, and, and so as I was thinking about this, and I've been thinking about messes lately, and you might say, well, you're the right guy to talk about it, because if you'd ever come to my office, you'd say, you're just the guy to talk about this. Or, or if you would happen to, 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 to come to my house and look at my side of the bedroom, you would say, I'm the right guy to talk about this. Uh, but today I want to talk about getting messy. And... and uh, and I want to give you three statements this morning and ask you a question. And just thinking about messy. And, and I just want to camp out there a little bit. But the first statement is this. The gospel is messy. The gospel is messy. Now, when you think of the gospel, you think good news, right? When you think of the gospel, you think John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. When we think about that, that's probably what our mind goes to. Well, an organization called Dare to Share that works with, with students and, and encouraging students to, to share their faith came up with, with a, a, a tool for, for, to help kids and, and individuals share the gospel. And they say it's life in six words. They say that the gospel is life in six words, and it starts off with the word God. God. He created us to be with him. That's the first part of the gospel, God. The second part is our. Our sins separate us from God. And here's where we start to get a little messy, right? Here's where the gospel starts to get a little messy. Our rebellion and sin have have introduced some mess into the gospel equation. So we have God. We have our. The next is S. Sins. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. You see, our, our sins introduce this mess into the gospel equation. And no matter what we do, no matter how, how many good things we try to do, we can't erase that mess. We can't erase that mess that we've created because of our rebellion against God. The next word is paying. Paying. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And here the gospel gets even more messy. You see, we, we introduce the mess into the gospel equation because of our sin. And then we see our loving Heavenly Father, who loves us so much that he is willing to get messy on our behalf. He is willing to send his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. The next word is everyone. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. The next part of the gospel tells us because of what Jesus did on the cross, if we put our faith and trust in him, the mess of our sin can be paid for. The mess of our sin can be paid for And the final word is life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. 
And I like that last, that last word, life, because I think a lot of times when we think about the gospel, we think, I'm going to put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that, I will have eternal life one day. But I like the way that, that Dare to Share states it there with the life aspect, because it says, our life with Jesus starts now. It doesn't wait till we get to eternity, but it starts now. Our life should be different. Our life should be focused on following him. And so that's the gospel. And if you think about it, the gospel is messy. We introduced the mess with our sin. And Christ got messy and paid for our sin on the cross. So as I was thinking about the gospel, I couldn't help but think about the passion of Christ. Uh, The movie that came out a few years ago, and, and I'm sure most of you have seen this movie and, and here's a picture from that movie, from the Gospel of Christ. And the one thing that, that I truly appreciated about the Gospel of Christ as I watched it, this movie helped me to visualize the brutality of the cross and the amazing love of Jesus who endured it in our place to pay the price for our sin. When I watched the, the, the Passion of the Christ, we read the stories in Scripture And sometimes I think we sanitize those stories. We don't realize how messy it really was for Jesus to go to to the cross on our behalf, how he shed his blood, how he was beaten, and he died. It was an amazing act of love for us. Jesus was willing to get messy for us on the cross. The gospel is messy Perfect God sent his perfect son to redeem a rebellious and sinful people on a costly and messy cross. The gospel is messy. That's the first statement that I want you to, uh, to, to, to get today. The second statement is this. Uh, the second statement is this. If the gospel is messy, there is no way for Jesus to do ministry without getting messy. There was no way for Jesus, when he came to this earth to do ministry without getting messy. There was no possible way for him to do that. And as you read through the gospel accounts, there is story after story of Jesus getting messy in ministry. One of those stories happens in John chapter 9. Starting at verse 1, it says this, And he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Shalom. So he sent the man... So the man went and washed and came home seeing. As we look at this first example of Jesus willing to get messy in ministry, the one thing that I noticed, and if you read through the gospel accounts, was Jesus was willing to minister to the sick. He was willing to minister to the sick. He was willing to to minister to those who were were sick and diseased, and and those were people that were kind of considered outcasts. In some, in some ways in this culture, they weren't really considered people, that the healthy people didn't want to be bothered by them. 
They just wanted to do their own thing. And, and here we see that Jesus was willing to get messy in ministry to the sick. What a great example for us to follow. Another great example, as Nathan read for us today in Matthew 9, 9 through 13, we see the story of Jesus and the tax collectors, Jesus and Matthew. And we see that, that Jesus struck up this relationship with Matthew, who was, who was chief enemy number one of the Jews. He was a tax collector. He was crooked. He, he was the lowest of the low. He was, he was hated. And here we see Jesus strikes up a relationship with him and then goes to Matthew's house to eat with other tax collectors and sinners. And, 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 and the Pharisees are furious about this. And in verse 13 there in Matthew 9, Jesus says this statement, For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And here we see that Jesus was willing to get messy in ministry and, and minister to those who had low social status, the, the sinners. Uh, social status didn't matter to Jesus. He wasn't looking for just the best and the brightest. And just, well, you know, I'll just serve them. No, social status didn't matter. He was, he was willing to go to the lowest of lowest of sinners. And he was willing to get messy in ministry. And these are people that the, the, the religious leaders just overlooked and discounted and said, I don't have any time for them. And Jesus went. He went. The social status didn't matter to Jesus. He was willing to get messy in ministry. And then in Luke 9, 13 to 17, as Ronnie read for us, we reread the story of the, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it's an amazing story. And we know that the crowd has been following Jesus and, and they're listening to him teach and they're hanging on every word that he says and they realize that it's getting late in the day and the crowd's been there for a long time and they're hungry. And they didn't bring any food along. And Jesus you know, says to the disciples, we're going to feed them. And his disciple says, we're not going to feed them. We got five loaves and two fish. That'll barely feed us. And Jesus says, no, we're, we're going to feed them. And he takes those five loaves and two fish, and, 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 and he distributes it, and everyone is fed. And when I think about this example, I think Jesus is willing to get messy in ministry. He is willing to put himself in stretching situations. He's willing to put himself in difficult situations. It would have been very easy for him to say, you know what, we're done. Class dismissed. Have a great night. Yeah, you know, we're, we're done. See you later. See you tomorrow. It would have been easy for him to say, you know what, you know, these people should have planned better. They should have brought their lunch with them. But no, Jesus saw a stretching situation, a difficult situation, and he said, you know what, I'm going to get messy in ministry. And he showed his disciples a great example to follow. Now, sure, he was the son of God. Yeah, we're not. So he has that advantage on us. But, but he was willing. He was willing to, 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 to put himself out there in stretching situations. And all of these examples, and you can read example after example, these examples amazed the people. They were just blown away by Jesus, that he was willing to get messy in ministry. And it angered the sanitary Pharisees who were focused on power and position, not love and service. Now, this week I went out and I bought, I bought a bottle of this. Anybody know what this is? What is it? Hand sanitizer. Ladies, if you were to open up your purse this morning, you have a bottle of hand sanitizer in your purse? If we were to do an informal poll this morning, I bet that a majority of you would have hand sanitizer in your purse. Probably not this big, 
But uh, if, if, if you do, that's a very big purse. Uh, but, but, you know, we're in love with hand sanitizer in, in the United States. I was doing a little research on hand sanitizer this, this week, and, and I learned that over the past five years, the hand sanitizer business has grown 6% a year. And it's estimated in 2012, Americans will spend $190 million on hand sanitizer. We love our hand sanitizer, don't we? I mean, I remember, you know, going on mission trips, and we were in the backwoods of, of, of Honduras and, and in the middle of nowhere, and we have hand sanitizer. That's one thing that we thought, hey, that'd be good to bring along, hand sanitizer. We were filthy from head to toe, but we were going to have clean hands because we had hand sanitizer. You know, same way when we were in, in Dominican Republic, you know, you, you never knew when you were going to wash, you were filthy and dirty, but we had hand sanitizer. We love our hand sanitizer. If you go to the hospital, you see hand sanitizer all over the place. And we, we love our, our hand sanitizer. And I was thinking about this. You know what the opposite of messy is? Sanitary. The opposite of messy is sanitary. And you know what? Sometimes that's our approach to life. Sometimes that's our approach to life. It has to be sanitary. It can't be messy. It can't be risky. It can't be inconvenient. We want a very clean and sanitary experience. But yet, if we look at the example of Jesus Christ, that's not the example that he shows for us. He was willing to get messy in ministry. He was willing to get inconvenient, be, incon- uh, be inconvenienced. He was willing to, uh, uh, to get dirty, to roll up his sleeves. He was willing to take risks and reach out and get, min- and get messy in ministry and reach out to people. There was no way for Jesus to do ministry without getting messy. That's the second statement I want you to think about this morning. The third statement is this. There is no way for us to do ministry without getting messy. There's no way for us to do ministry without getting messy. You know what? If Jesus was willing to get messy in ministry, then we should be willing to do the same. We should be willing to do the same. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, it says this. Jesus stepped into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. You know their thoughts, Jesus said. Why, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier for, to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Get up. Take your mat and go home. And the, mat, and the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. And as we read this story, it's a very familiar story, and you think, what a great miracle. He, ha- he heals the, para- the paralyzed man. And when I was reading that this story this week, you know what I was thinking? The real miracle in this story was the paralyzed man had friends who were willing to get messy in ministry. There was not those handicap accessible ramps and, 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 you know, and, and wide doorways and, and, and wheelchairs and all of those things back in this day. These, this, these men loved their friend. 
And they were willing to get messy in ministry. And you know, the, in, in the parallel account, they, they had to cut a hole in the roof to get their friend to Jesus. They were willing to get messy in ministry. That's what I think the real miracle in that story is. They were willing to get messy in ministry. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, familiar verses for us. We've heard these time and time again, and, and Jesus is talking. He says, then he said to them, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very self? This passage tells us what it means to get messy in ministry. First of all, it tells us we need to kill our selfishness. We need to kill our selfishness. We need to die to ourselves. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to kill our selfishness. And then we need to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get messy. And that means that we need to be willing to sacrifice and serve our Savior and others. We need to be willing to sacrificially serve our Savior and others. That's the mess that Jesus is expecting from us. That's what he wants from us. And that is not always easy. That's not always easy. One final passage as I was thinking about was this, this idea of us getting messy in ministry in, in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, starting at verse 35, uh, we are reminded of, of what it means to get messy in ministry. Starting at verse 35, it says, One of them, an expert in the law, a Pharisee, tested him with this question. He was asking Jesus, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these commandments. This teacher in the law comes to Jesus and he's asking, hey, what's what's the most important thing? And Jesus kind of tells him, you want to get messy in ministry? You want to know what it really looks like to follow me? He says, you need to love God and love others. You need to love God and love others. And if you're willing to do that, you're going to encounter a little bit of mess. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to be convenient. There is going to be some mess involved with it. As I was thinking about this, this passage of Scripture, I was thinking about this statement. It's easy for me to pretend that I love God. It's hard for me to, to pretend that I love others. Jesus here in, in Matthew 22 is calling us to love God and love others. And you know what? It's easy to, to show up on Sunday morning and act like we love God. It's easy to pretend that. And you can fool a lot of people, and I can fool a lot of people. We're good actors as believers. We, we can sh- come show up and we can sing all the right songs and, and we can turn to all the right verses and we can pretend that we love God. But it goes on to say, you know what, we can't pretend if we truly love others. And what I, what I think that really means is if we really love God, we're going to show his love to others. We're going to be willing to get messy and love other people. And if you truly say that you love God, 
it should be very easily seen in your life because you're getting messy loving other people. You're getting messy showing his love to other people. There is no way for us to do ministry without getting messy. Three statements this morning is that I want you to think about. The gospel is messy. There was no way for Jesus to do ministry without getting messy. And there's no way for us to do ministry without getting messy. As I close this morning, I want to close with a story, a remarkable story of a guy that I just, I just found out about in the last week or so. But it's a remarkable story, and I want to close with this story. I want to ask you a question after the story. And this guy that I just learned about, his name is Bob Goff. He wrote a book called Love Does. And the best way to describe Bob is he loves God, he loves people, and he loves life. Bob's the kind of guy that you'd want as your friend because there would never be a dull moment. He's kind of the life of the party, but he truly loves Jesus Christ. And he, he is a lawyer who wanted to do something more with his life. So he, he, he founded a, an organization called Restore International. And the whole purpose of that organization is, is to fight for justice for kids around the world, kids who are oppressed and taken advantage of. And so he, he started this, this, this organization, and, and he's working to, uh, in Uganda and Indian, in India fighting child trafficking and bringing to justice those who abuse children. And Bob, like I said, he, he loves God, he loves others, but he loves life. And he has a friend named Doug. He's his best friend. And Bob's a prankster. And so, and he's always pranking Doug, and, and and it was Doug's 10th anniversary, and Doug is all excited. And he's telling Bob, you know what, for my 10th anniversary, my wife and I, we rent out the penthouse suite of the nicest hotel in town. And Bob's like, oh, that sounds great. So he gets done with the conversation, and Bob calls his wife and says, get ready, we're going to the penthouse suite. And so he goes to this hotel the day that they were going to go and celebrate there. Doug was going to go and celebrate his, his anniversary. And him and his wife go to the front desk, and they check in as Doug and his wife. And they take the elevator to the penthouse. And this is what we're talking, you know, the, the elevator opens in the room. I mean, we're talking, we're talking the nicest place in town. And they, are, and they just enjoy their time there. They're hungry, so they order $400 worth of room service. And after they're done, they've had a great time. They cleaned up everything, sent the plates away, and quietly left. And Doug came and checked in with his wife. And they went up, and they enjoyed their evening, and they came the next morning to check out, and, the, and, and, the, and the, the hotel clerk slides the bill across the table, and there's a $400 bill for room service. And Doug thinks in his mind, Bob. <laughs> and he says to Bob, I'm going to get even with you. I'm going to get even with you. And, and Bob's like, well, good luck. I'm a lawyer, so whatever you try to do, you're going to be in trouble. But, and, and he knew that Doug was just not a very good prankster. Well, a few years later, he gets a call from who he suspects is Doug. It's a call from the ambassador of Uganda. And the ambassador of Uganda is, is, is talking to him on the phone, and, and, and he's telling his wife, this is Doug. He's trying to get me. But uh, you know what? No matter what he says, I'm going to say yes. I'm just going to go along with it. Doug never gets, he, he never can prank me, and so I'm just going to go along with it. So he, he gets this phone from the ambassador of Uganda, and, and, the, and he says, he says to Bob, I've heard about your work in Uganda with Restore International, and, and, and I was willing if you would be the consul for, for Uganda. And Bob's like, sure. 
sure, Doug, whatever. And he said, okay, I was, willing, I was wondering if you'd be willing to come to New York and meet me. I'll be in New York at this day. And, and Bob's like, hey, I'm all in. So, I, I, sure, I'll fly across the, across the country and I'll meet you there. And, and he go, Bob goes to the hotel where he's supposed to meet this, this ambassador uh, who he thought was his good friend, Doug. And, uh, and he's, he's sitting there and he watches this big black limousine pull up with the Ugandan flags on the front. He's like, oh, this might be the real deal. And the ambassador comes in, and, and he talks to Bob, and, and he says, Bob, it's so good to meet you, and, I, and I'm glad that you're going to be the consulate of Uganda. And Bob's like, no, you said the council. I thought you needed a lawyer. He's like, no, you're going to be the consulate. You're, you're going to represent Uganda. And Bob, being the guy that he is, he's like, sure, why not? You know, I'm all in. Sure, I'll do it. And and so he has this official duty with, with the, the Ugandan government. He has the plates on his car, and now he has the little flags on his Jeep that he gets to, to drive everywhere. And, 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 and so, you know, he, it starts this relationship. And, and, and so he, he has this relationship in Uganda, and he's doing work in Uganda. And if you know anything about Uganda, you know that they have a problem with witch doctors. It's a very dark country, and the witch doctors are very powerful. And in Uganda, the witch doctors... They kidnap boys, and they emasculate them and sacrifice them to, their, to the spirits. And Bob heard about this, and he was very distraught because he loves kids. He loves to fight for justice for kids. So Bob says, hey, we're going to do something about this. So he bought the whole Ugandan law library, two books, and, uh, and, and he read them front to cover, and, and he's like, we're ready to do something. The problem is that everyone's afraid of the witch doctors, and none of the boys ever lived until Charlie. Charlie was kidnapped, and they took him out to the, to the bush, and, and, and he was emasculated. His, his boy parts were cut off, and he was left in the, into the bush to die, and Charlie didn't die. With a massive loss of blood, he somehow made his way to the, to the village and word of Charlie came to Bob. And Bob's like, I have my evidence. So Bob went and found uh, a Ugandan uh, judge who would try the case. And he got Charlie's evidence. And, and, and they, they brought Kabi, the most powerful witch doctor in Uganda, to, to trial. And he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to life in a Ugandan prison, which is basically hell on earth. And we think of that story and we say, wow, that's a great story. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. Bob uh, uh, likes to fly seaplanes, and, and he got a call from a guy who also enjoys to fly seaplanes, and his name was Dr. Randy. And he was the head doctor of Cedar sinai Hospital. And he calls Bob and he says, hey, Bob, someone told me about your buddy Charlie. And he says, I'd like to help Charlie. I can fix Charlie. And Bob says, you don't understand. Uh, Charlie, he was a mascot. He, ha he has no boy parts. And the guy's like, I'm the, head, I'm the lead doctor in America. We can rebuild those parts. Bob's like, that's going to be expensive. And the doctor's like, it's not going to cost you a thing. We'll take care of it. So Bob flies to Uganda to pick up Charlie, who's never been on an airplane. And, he, and he's making his trek back to the United States, and they stop over in London. And while he lands in London, he gets an email who he thinks is Doug playing another prank from him. And the email says, White House on it. 
And he opens the email, and it's from the White House. And he has an invitation. Him and Charlie have an invitation on their way to California for this surgery to stop and have a visit with the president in the Oval Office. And Bob watched little Charlie walk into the Oval Office and meet the most powerful man on the planet. They took off from Washington and went to California, and they landed in California, and Bob was with Charlie the whole time, and the doctors did the surgery, and they restored Charlie. Amazing story. But it wasn't over for Bob yet. Because even though they restored Charlie, Bob was thinking about Kabi. He was thinking, there's got to be something for Kabi. So his next trip to Uganda, Bob requests permission to go to the maximum security prison in Uganda. And he goes and he visits Kavi. And he sits there in this dirty and dusty and disgusting room and, and, and Kavi opens up and he begins to share with Bob how sorry he is for what he's done. And Bob begins to share the gospel with Kavi. And that the only person that can truly forgive him and his sins is Jesus Christ. And there in that dark and disgusting dungeon, Kabi puts his trust in Jesus Christ. You want to talk about an amazing story? It's an amazing story. You know why that story was possible? Because Bob was willing to get messy in ministry. He was willing to go to places no one wanted to go. He was willing to fight for the people that no one wanted to fight for. He was, imp- he, was, he was compelled by his love for Jesus Christ to share his love with other people. And just to say yes, to say yes to the mess. And we are too. And if I'm really honest, I don't want any more mess in my life. I like my life clean and sanitary. It's easier But that's not the life that Jesus wants from us. Some people say, you know what, I didn't sign up for messy. And you know what, you're right, you didn't. You were called to get messy. Jesus calls you to get messy. He calls me to get messy. And I think if we're ever going to make a difference in this world for him, in our country for him, we need to be willing to look past sickness and social status and, 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 and those stretching situations and raise our hand and say, you know what, I'm willing to get messy. Because Jesus called me to get messy. So the question that I want to leave you with this morning is, am I ready to get messy? Am I ready to get messy? And that's only a question that you can answer. And if you're ready to get messy, would you be bold enough this week to pray and ask God, God, show me how I can get messy for you? Because you know what? I just told you that story about Bob, and we sit there and think, that's an amazing story. Well, guess what? God wants to do an amazing story in your life and my life. All we need need to do is be willing to say yes to the mess. Am I ready to get messy? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that... You were willing to get messy for us because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our, 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 our wanting to do our own thing and go our own way. You were, loved us so much that you were willing to, to get messy and go to the cross and pay the price for our sin. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we 
so many times, when I so many times say no to the mess, when I say no, I'm, I'm not interested. But Lord, help us to realize that you called us to get messy. You called us to follow your example. You called us to, to take up our cross, to die to ourself and get messy in ministry. Father, Lord, I pray that that Mount Calvary Church would have the reputation as a church that's willing to get messy in ministry. It may not always be clean. It may not always be easy. It may not always be neat and tidy. But Lord, messy is so, so rewarding because it's where you called us to be. And we know that when we run into those messy situations, you are there with us to help us. So Lord, help us to say yes to the mess. In Jesus' name, amen.